Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast presented by Lancaster Archery Supply. For all your bow hunting needs, visit LancasterArchery.com. We've got the gear, we've got the knowledge, and we've got the passion. We'll talk about uh, knowledge and passion. We have an incredible story here, and, and I'm just going to jump right into it. We have a Gage Shepherd. He's 26 years old, been saddle hunting for all of two years, killed the buck, not only of his lifetime, anyone's lifetime. A 17-pointer that scored over 200 inches. It was his first deer ever out of a saddle. Not not buck, not just the first deer ever. Just an incredible story from start to finish, from top to bottom, and inside and out. Gage, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so so you've been saddle hunting for really only two years. And the first year you take is an absolute monster, not just a Pope and Young, but a Booner. And I know that you had the deer rough scored and you're going to get it officially scored, but uh, there, there's so many ways we can dissect this. But let's start with the the obvious. So 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 you're hunting a really small parcel, five acres. What are you thinking when that deer walks up to you? Oh, man. Well, the the first so I've seen this deer from from the tree twice the second time was the time that i ended up shooting him so the first time that i saw him i was just in shock really i mean i could tell instantly that it was a nice deer a deer a mature deer that i would want to shoot and the longer i looked at him i just i felt like i was in a movie almost i mean i couldn't believe what i was seeing but the night that he did show up and i killed him I was I was almost expecting to see him that night, so I did remain calm. But yeah, I mean, it was just it's obviously the biggest deer I've ever seen, and I was pretty <laughs> pretty shocked, I guess. Yeah, now we're we're gonna do a deep dive into that night in a, in a, just a little bit, but let's back up. You you're 26. You've been hunting for a while. How did you get started in hunting, and then how did you get started in bow hunting? So my my grandfather, my mom's dad, is who got me into deer hunting. I think around 10 years old, I started, I went with him the first year, not hunting myself, just went out and sat in the tree stand with him, shotgun hunting, uh, muzzleloader hunting that year. And next year, I began shotgun hunting. I would go over there. We kind of have our uh, a deer camp and... I just, I took to it instantly. I absolutely love being out there watching the woods come to life and, you know, seeing the animals behave naturally you know, without, you know, knowing that you're there. I just absolutely loved it. So maybe two or three years of, of just shotgun hunting and I, I took interest in shooting a bow. My grandpa bow hunted at the time. I mm-hmm. think I was just still pretty young and so after a few years, I got into the bow hunting and then it was, it was game over. I was hooked um, with the season being longer and having to get closer to them. I mean, it was, I was obsessed, I guess you could say. As we all are. I mean, when, when you're a bow hunter, you're usually pretty passionate about it, especially if you're out there hunting with a comp, braving the elements. Yeah, the fall season is nice, but if you have to go into the late season, it can get pretty gnarly and stuff like that. So Without focusing in on the specific location, what part of the state you usually do your hunting and where'd you take this deer? 
West Central Illinois. So I actually live in Southern Illinois. Um, uh-huh. I I hunt a lot of public land down here, but I also will go back to West Central Illinois, and I've got a few smaller parcels that I can hunt up there. Yeah, and now the spot you took this deer on was literally it's like everybody's dream for hunting a small parcel. This was like I think you told me less than five acres. And that's pretty incredible to take a deer of this size. So talk a little bit about that. Like what was the setup there as far as the land you're hunting? Had anybody seen this deer before? So yeah, the the parcel itself, I believe is 4.7 acres and huntable timbers, probably two to three acres, honestly. But I guess the overall layout is this, this piece is part of just a bigger vein of timber that's surrounded by agriculture a lot of what is around central Illinois in that area. And this buck, I believe, is just using this piece of timber as kind of a travel corridor. Back on the back side of the property, I've, there's a larger piece that I don't believe gets hunted. And I don't know that for a fact, but I'm, I was thinking that he likes staying in there and he he just would use this piece, you know, not not daily, but from time to time, he'd be moving through there. The The property itself is kind of an hourglass shape and the, the backside butts up to CRP field, but the all of the property that I'm hunting is just hardwood timber. There's honestly some pretty gnarly little ridges in there for how small it is. It's kind of rugged, but creek down in the bottom, there's a lot of honeysuckle which, you know, unfortunately it's all over the state, but yep. yeah, it's kind of like nasty in there. Yeah. And, but it sounds like you had a bit of a natural funnel there as it was traveling the feed or coming back to bedding areas and things like that. So my understanding is you got your first glimpse of this deer last year. Talk a little bit about that and how maybe we able to pattern it this year before we, we started the podcast here, you mentioned that you had a pretty good feeling you were going to get that deer in the night you took the stand. So so talk a little bit about that. You must have had a good idea when you could go in after this buck. You certainly didn't want to go in and blow him out of there or ruin your chances. Right. So yeah, 2022, my, my grandpa runs trail cameras on this property separate from myself. So he's the one that's checking them and all of that. Well, he showed me this buck that he had on camera. It was October 27th of 2022. And I mean, he was a really nice buck last year. I would guess him to probably be a 180 class buck. He had some, some different features, but some the same. I mean, the, the, the kickers on one of his G2s were still present, just smaller. I mean, there was no questioning it was this buck. And I, I never ended up going in there and hunting him. It was one video at night and I don't know. I, I've got a, a few places that I hunt. And when I do make the trip back to central Illinois, you know, I, I've got to make a decision on where to go. And I just never really hunted there. So this year I was actually in the tree stand on a separate property and I got a photo of a deer sent to me by my grandpa. And obviously a really nice deer. And I just assumed he was out driving around and saw it. And I was like, wow, nice buck. Where's that at? And turns out it was very close to a property I could hunt. And I was just, you gotta be kidding me. 
and something something clicked in my brain that I I saw those kickers and I was like that is that buck from last year and I went searched and found that video from 2022 and sure enough I was like that's him which which told me that he does use this property at least from time to time he was there last year odds are he'll come back through at some point so I mean I literally got out of my tree stand and <laughs> started making a plan basically to go after him yeah now, now this is an incredible book i mean you just mentioned briefly the the g2s but they looked enormous how long were those points and it seemed like it had kickers coming out for all different angles yeah i mean his his g2s were both 10 10 and a half well one one was 10 flat and one was 10 and seven eighths the g3s on his right side there was 12 and five eighths and the other one was 10, seven eighths. So yeah, I mean, that one, almost 13 inches, it's, it looks huge. I mean, it's tall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just really impressive deer. And, and, and for everybody that's listening to the podcast, you sort of have to put everything together from us talking, but we're going to have a, a, a feature with Gage in our tree saddle publication. And we're going to, when we put this podcast over, we're going to, we're going to share uh, a couple of these images o- online on our social media. So you get a chance to see this, but it, it's just a great story and, and, and an incredible, incredible book. And Gage, before I forget, how, how wide was the spread? Uh, his inside spread was 16 and six eighths. So, you know, I, I thought of him as, kind of more of a narrow buck and I, I knew he was I knew he was a giant but I thought if anything the the spread would be what potentially held him back from that 200 class buck but yeah 16 and 6 eighths inside spread so you mentioned that you were hunting other properties in a tree stand but you also saddle hunt I've only been doing it about two years so let's dive into that a little bit I guess the first good question is you obviously hunt from stands, whether they're ladder stands or climbers. What made you want to try saddle hunting a couple of years ago? Yeah. So like I said, I hunt a lot of public land in Southern Illinois. And to be honest, I was tired of toting around my climber and I wanted a lighter setup. And I, I consume a lot of hunting media and, you know, it seemed like I listened to a lot of podcasts. I I did a lot of research on them and I was just like, man, the the saddle hunting seems like it's the way to go, at least for the public land hunter who's walking in, you know, a mile or more who, who needs to be mobile. And it just seemed like a much better option. I was already sort of doing the mobile thing with the climber and it just seemed like that was the move to cut on weight and to get in a wider variety of trees. And certainly that uh, from the mobility perspective and the uh, adaptability perspective, saddle hunting is the way to go because you can go and you can choose almost any area. If you find the freshest sign, you can find a spot right there and climb. It gives you so many advantages. But to talk a little bit about your saddle hunting setup. What are you using as far as a saddle, maybe a platform and your sticks? I, I think people would be really interested in knowing that. And the reason I, I mentioned is you're doing this two years, but in the saddle hunting world, they're coming out with new innovations, literally, it seems like almost every couple of months. Yeah, it does. So I'm using the tethered phantom saddle. I use the, the tethered ropes as well for my lineman's belt and my, my tether. My climbing sticks are the Timber Ninja 
C1 carbon fiber sticks. I use three of them, each of them with a, a cable aider. And that gets me right around probably the between 15 and 20 feet, depending on how I space it and how I how high I go, you know, with my platform. Which is honestly, that's right around where I like to be. And my platform itself, I also use the the tethered platform, not just the regular size one, not the large one. Now I have to back up. Tim, Timber Ninja, is that the company that's based out of North Carolina? I, I seem to remember meeting those guys a couple of years ago. I believe so, yes. Yeah, and, and they had some pretty innovative equipment. And and like I said, the goal, even with the the saddle companies, now, is they continue to come out with products that are just almost featherweight. You're talking about sticks now that are a pound and things like that. And so, so yeah, so yeah. like when you were looking to get started in your saddle, so now obviously you need a lot of equipment to saddle hunt, to, at least to get started. And it could be an expensive yep. endeavor as can bow hunting. What were the things you were keeping in mind as you were beginning to purchase or gather your equipment for saddle hunting? So I wanted a saddle at least for a whole year before I actually purchased it. And I knew I wanted to do it. I just wanted to make sure that I got exactly what I wanted. And I was sort of in the mindset of, I just want to buy it once and, you know, make sure it's quality stuff. So I, I just bought everything I could think of at once. And of course, there were some things <laughs> that came later, uh, you know, that I had to add on. But yeah, I mean, I was just thinking I want quality and I, I want the bare minimum, everything to be able to go out and be bow hunting out of the saddle. Yeah. And that's an interesting approach. You know, a lot of times when people are are just starting out in their archery hunting career, or in this case, saddle hunting, they might want to save some dollars and then reconfigure their plans or adapt their plans later. Sounds like you wanted good quality equipment to start that may minimize or mitigate the amount of investment you need to make in future years, unless you're really looking to upgrade a, upgrade a piece of equipment. That's a pretty interesting strategy there. And obviously tethers high quality equipment. And like I said, we've, we've, we've talked to the guys from Timber Ninja before they have some pretty great stuff. So, yeah. So, you know, thinking back now, you, you've done this for, for two years and, you know, what would you recommend for people who are looking to get into saddle hunting, like what do they want to think about as far as the equipment? Like how has it helped shape your decisions now that you've done it for two years? I guess I'd start off by saying buy the saddle. Just, you know, save up. It's worth it. I, I think of it as in terms of tree stands, you know, it it's kind of just like buying an expensive tree stand for your setup. And it's something that I knew for me personally, it was going to use all the time. So first I'd just say, make the move and, and do it, go for it. It's, it's totally worth it. Another thing I would say mechanical ascenders are, are worth it. In my opinion, it's just easier than the Prusik knots, the one hand, easier operation. But as, as far as advice, you know, as people getting into it, practice makes perfect. Absolutely. And not only practicing climbing and being getting comfortable in your saddle, but practicing shooting from the saddle, I think is a, a big one because it's, you might get up there and you've got your climbing system down, but if you haven't really shot from it, it, it is different than shooting from the ground. So, yeah. And, and then just, I like the, the term slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Take your time 
And the more you do it, you'll get better at staying quiet, figuring out, you know, the exact moves you need to make to get up your tree in a timely manner. No, and that's stellar advice. And you know, it, it's, you know, you think about it all the time in bow hunting, you have to practice, but you have to practice right. in the situations you're going to hunt in. So first, thanks for bringing that up. And then, and that's true, whether you're sitting in a ground blind, whether you're kneeling in the situation you'll be hunting in, whether you're shooting at steep angles. So great, great advice there. All right. Now let's get into this story with this, with this deer. So you knew the deer was there. You had a little history as far as some trail cam footage, the video from last year. You got it the second time you saw it. Let's talk about that night. Walk us through that evening. You're in the stand and what happened. So tell us all about it. All right. So this was Thanksgiving weekend. The Thursday and Friday of the weekend, I had family obligations and couldn't hunt. So Saturday morning of the 25th, I got out there. I like to get in pretty early, like an hour before shooting light. I didn't have anything preset, so I, I climb up my tree and get everything set. This is not the tree that I originally started hunting out there, but after mm -hmm. several weeks of hunting, you know, I made some adjustments, kind of keyed in on what the deer, how the deer moved through the property. Because like I said, this is really the first year that I'd gone out there and hunted it hard. But three days prior to the 25th, I got a trail camera, a couple trail camera photos of, of this buck right around 4.30 PM. And Saturday morning, I was out there. I, I sat probably until 11 o'clock and I did not see that many deer, a few does, maybe a small eight pointer. I, I headed back in and got a bite to eat and I was, I was back in the tree by, by one o'clock right around there. And I just, I had a feeling from, from the trail camera info, I had a feeling that he was going to show up again. I don't know. I told my mom and my girlfriend before I went out, I was like, I just got a good feeling about tonight. And I get up in the tree around one and he ended up being the first deer that I saw that night. So right around three 30, I was like, okay, I hadn't seen anything, but I was like, okay, you know, time to get time to zone in here. He, he showed up three days ago at four 30, you know, just be ready, be ready. And four o'clock came and I'm, I'm still hadn't seen a deer. And I think it was right around four 15. I look up and I, I see this deer and he's walking my way. And it's, it's odd to say this, but I really was very calm in the moment. It, it was almost like I was expecting him to show up right on cue and he did. And he, he's making his way towards me and he hops on this trail and I recognize that he's not going to get any closer. You know, I, I can see the trail, the path he's taking, the trajectory. And I'm like, this is, this is as close as he's getting, but he's, I'm like, he's really not that far. So as he's, he's just a steady walk. He's not really stopping and, and looking around, but he's also not moving very fast. I mean, it's just kind of a slow walk. And I was like, he's really not that far. So I get out my range finder and I range a hole that he's just about to walk through and it was 35 yards. And I was, I can shoot 35 yards. 
So he immediately walks through that hole and he's past it already, but I see where he's going and I, okay. I've got a big open and he, he continues walking and I'm actually, so at this point I've got the tree in front of me. I'm swinging around the left side of the tree and I'm shooting to the right. So to my right. So I'm actually wrapped around the tree a little bit, but I, I range where I think he's going and it was about 39. So I knew he was going to be between that 35 and 39 yep. and he, he gets into the opening. I, I draw back and I act, I mean, it was not the perfect setup. I'll be the first to admit that I had a branch that my top cam was actually bumping into and I kind of had slunched down, but he, he stopped naturally. And uh, I settled the pin on him and I made my shot. And my initial thought was I hit low. I knew I hit him. I mean, I, I, so I shoot a lighted knock, but for some reason it did not light up. I mean, I didn't even see it light wise. It's not like it died while it was out there, but it didn't light up, but I knew I hit him and I was like, man, it looked low. And his, his reaction was he ran five, 10 feet, like took off running and then he stopped and he was just standing there. And I was immediately felt almost sick to my stomach. I was like, that's not the reaction that I was hoping for. I thought if anything, I was low, maybe I got the heart, but I was like, was I too low? Did I, was I back? Did I, you know, get the guts? Cause I, I think any bow hunters probably gut shot a deer and that reaction was kind of lining up with it. And from what I've seen, I mean, he, so he stood there and wagged his tail and took a couple steps. And as soon as he started walking, he swayed to the left a little, like he was stumbling off balance. And that I was like, okay, and this is all happening really fast, but I yeah. immediately no knocked the arrow. But by this time, I knocked my arrow and then I watched him for a second and I was like, I'm not going to get another shot. He was facing directly away from me and he's probably about 60 yards at this point. So I just hung up my bow and I watched and I, I got my binos out and watched him. So he, he took a step and wobbled left, kind of regrouped, took a step and wobbled right. And then he stood there with a wide stance facing directly away from me for what felt like five minutes. I mean, I don't know exactly how long it was, but it felt like forever. And this is when I was kind of, you know, I could see his rack from behind. They always say look bigger from behind. And I was just like, oh my goodness, like, please go down, please go down. <laughs> his head just slowly lowered. I mean, so he's facing directly away. His head just slowly lowered almost all the way to the ground. And then he picked it up and started walking and I was just like, no, no, no. And there's a, there's a dip in the, in the landscape there. So he's actually going downhill a little bit and I lose sight of, I can just see the tips of his rack. Uh -huh. And I was just like, Oh man. And this is a small property. So I, I don't yeah. want him off the property. You know, I am just like, Oh man, well, I see the rack all of a sudden it kind of, thrashes to the left and thrashes to the right. I hear a couple twigs snapping and I was like, I think, I think he might be going down. And then I lost sight of him. Never, never heard anything else. 
Yep. But I didn't see him. I didn't see him lay down. I didn't see him fall down. I just saw the antlers back and forth. So I was mixed emotions. I, I felt like he very well could be laying there dead, but I also couldn't visually see him. And I was just like, okay, I'm gonna I'm playing it safe. I sat there the rest of the night until dark. Uh, waited a little bit after dark. I, I left my whole setup out there, my sticks and platform. I just didn't want to make any noise and and snuck out. With it being a smaller property, I will say that the access was fairly easy. I mean, I had good access in and out of here. So I snuck out of there. I'm calling some buddies. I'm talking to them. Everybody seems to think he's probably dead right there. But I decided... It, you know, either way, if he's dead, he's going to be there no matter how long I wait. It was, it was a cold yeah. night in the twenties. So I waited several hours. I think it was around eight o'clock. I had a, one of my buddies show up and his dad to help me drag. And yeah, we went out there. My, my girlfriend, she's never, this is kind of her first time being involved in deer hunting. And yep. we went out and I just went straight to the spot where I thought I last saw him. And at first we didn't, we didn't find him. Now everything's dark now and it's, things are looking slightly different from when you're on the ground versus in the tree. And I started to sort of panic that maybe he really did just continue walking into the timber and it was a, some sort of gut shot. But after probably 10, 15 minutes of searching, my girlfriend's actually the one who found him. And he he was right where I I saw him. I like with his antlers thrashing like that, I think that was his final final moments there. Yeah. What was your was, thought? What, I mean, unbelievable walking up to him. I mean, I, I don't know. It I'm I'm very I was emotional. I was, you know, I was happy. I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at really. And, you know, I was just, I was glad to be with friends and family and, you know, it's sort of sad to see a, a deer like that. It's his life, you know, his story come to an end. I, you know, I think about potentially six, six and a half years ago, he was just some little spike buck. And I like to think, you know, what was I doing back then? And, uh, yeah, I mean, lots of emotions, but mostly <laughs> just total bliss, I guess. I was just super excited. You know, we we drug him back and, and got him up to the house. And my grandpa, he's he's 81 now, and he's still he still deer hunts, but he struggles. He's got some some balance issues and it's just harder for him to move around in the in the timber, but he's still passionate about it and him seeing that deer was one of the best parts. I mean, he, just him being proud of me and kind of seeing all this hard work come together. Yeah, I have to imagine having your girlfriend there, having your grandfather there, having your friends there that had to make it extra special. I mean, it is hunting is a family focused sport. You know, you're usually hunting with your, if you're not hunting solo, you're with your closest friends or your family. And so that must have been an extra special moment for you. Absolutely. And him being the person who, started me, you know, in this lifestyle and really, really kind of taught me the basics and 
a lot of, a lot of valuable lessons taken away from hunting. We spent a lot of time together. It's brought brought us very close, and it was a pretty special moment. Yeah. Well, congratulations on an incredible once in a lifetime deer. And you know, before I forget, I should ask you, what were you using as far as your bow setup? Like, what was your bow? What was your arrow and your broadhead? Yeah. So I shoot a Hoyt RX3. It's one of their first carbon bows that they made in the Redworks series. I got that bow in 2019. I believe it's the year that it came out. And so that's that's my bow. And I shoot this was I shoot Eastern Axis arrows, the mm-hmm. five millimeter. My broadhead, this was actually the first year that I'd used these, is a Helix FJ4. It's it's a single bevel with two like smaller bleeder blades, I guess. Yeah. So it, so it's still a four blade, but the two the two smaller ones. And that's that's the broadhead I was using. Yeah. No, that and obviously it was a, a deadly combination. Before I forget, I have to ask you. You know, we were talking about the fact that you stand hunt and why you switched to saddle hunting, but this obviously was somewhat of an easy access property. What made you want to go in the saddle at this property for this deer? Was there a reason that you decided you wanted to go in for the saddle, whether it was due to the rough topography that you mentioned or, or you know, the thickness of the terrain? What made you want to use a saddle there? The main reason why I wanted to use the saddle is because I just hadn't spent a ton of time in this on this piece. And I wanted to be able to adapt to what I was seeing. I wanted to be able to figure out what the deer were doing. You know, I when I hung cameras out there in preparation for those deer, you know, I kind of picked out what I thought would be good. Uh-huh. Uh, and I ended up hunting that for several days, but I did end up making a move. And ultimately, that's that's why I chose the saddle because, for one, it's, I guess, less of a hassle than putting up a tree stand in there. And it just allowed me to adapt to whatever the deer were doing and, you know, moving around, even though it's a smaller piece, moving around within there to kind of put that puzzle together. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I have to ask you for a first deer out of a saddle, you're going to have a hard time ever topping this. What's your goal now when you go saddle hunting? Is it, is it, you know, it's obviously you love to hunt. We all love to hunt. So, but you know, you may never get another buck that big. What's your plans going forward? Well, you know, I, like I said, I hunt a lot of public land on here. My still are different down here. But I will say that for sure. I'm ultimately trying to shoot a mature buck, which, yep. which to me means four and a half or older. I, I, tr- I don't really think about the score too much. I, I just want a mature whitetail. And when I do go home, I will say I'm quite a bit more selective though. And, you know, I guess the ultimate goal would be to do it again. (laughs) Yeah. And and certainly you live in a state where you have the opportunity to take high quality, mature white tails. I mean, you have that living where I live in Pennsylvania. You don't always have those types of opportunities, but you do where you live. And so obviously you've learned a lot over the past couple of years about saddle hunting, and it really helped you get on this deer this year, whether it was just a matter of letting you be a little more mobile on the property you had to hunt or, or just, you know, keeping your impact down. I mean, there, there, were, there were a lot of pluses to you using a saddle this year. So, yeah. you know, is anything else that you wanted to 
talk about that, that we haven't covered. I mean, it is just a great story from start to finish, but anything else you want to mention, whether it's something about your experience or sort of what you might look to do differently going forward? Well, I, I guess one thing I'll add just about the, the rack itself, he did end up having a, a broken tine on his left side. Uh-huh. Uh, his left side, he's got, there's three kickers off of his G2. One of them, the, the bottom one is almost off the main beam. So it could be considered a drop tine. I'm not, I'm not totally sure what meets the definition there. But yeah, he had two abnormal points next to what would be his G3 on the left side. And one of them was broken clean at the base. And I don't have any pictures of the buck prior to it being broken. But talking to a few people and my taxidermist, we think it had to have been a longer point rather than shorter just because of the way it's broken off clean at the base. Would have taken a lot of force for it to be a smaller time. So that's just something kind of kind of neat that I wanted to throw in there. But yeah, I mean the the saddle hunting, I I'm gonna continue to learn. Every time I go out, I feel like I learned something. There was a strong learning curve with tree selection and sort of, you know, it's different than a tree stand in that you're gonna put where you think the deer to come is in between you and the the tree. So yeah, I'm just going to continue to learn. Like you said, there's new gear coming out all the time. I, I like to try some new things out. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, if I have much more to add. I mean, I, I just, I love bow hunting. I, I feel very fortunate to have an opportunity at a deer like this. After I made a social media post, I had a lot of people reach out to me. I, I knew there had to be other people hunting this deer, but it was really great. Everyone was friendly, congratulating me, sending me trail camera pictures. You you brought up an interesting point there. So there were other people. Once you got that deer, there were other people. It's 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 how it works a lot of times. Unless the deer is so popular that everybody sees it, like if it's out in daylight a lot. You don't hear a lot about it. Then when somebody gets it, then you start to hear from other people that they were after it. It was on their trail cameras. Was that the case with your deer? Oh, absolutely. Several people sending me trail camera pictures from last year and this year. I mean, there was definitely people who knew about the deer and were actively hunting him. And and I will add, so from the time I started hunting him, it, it was basically a month where I was hunting every weekend. And I, I don't work Fridays and I was yep. taking Thursdays off. So uh, it was long, long weekends of me hunting him. I don't even remember where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it's just, it, like I said, it's just a great story, but you, but you obviously put some time in, you know, it wasn't like you deserve first sit in the tree and, and he came out, you, you, you obviously, you know, did some other hunts in there on that property. And you mentioned, I think you, you said earlier, this is the second time you saw him. I think you saw him one other time. And, you know, I should probably ask you what happened with the first encounter. We didn't actually touch on that. So you, you, you this was the second time you yeah. saw the deer while you were out hunting. Yeah. November 5th is when I got the pictures of him and I got some trail cameras and I went out there, put them out. I would like to have hunted that afternoon. It was a Sunday and I had to get back down to Southern Illinois for work. Yep. So hung up my trail cameras and the following Thursday, 
I was out there hunting and I saw him. It was a morning hunt. He was probably about 60 yards at the closest. And I mean, it was kind of an action packed morning, but I, I could not believe that I saw him my first sit out there. And that's what, that's what really set the tone for me as far as like, there's a, there's a real possibility that I could kill this deer. So he, he was walking behind me about 60 yards and he was bumping a doe. So he was hot on this doe and she kind of bailed off into the, into the timber. And he actually walked out into the CRP field and he's angling away from me, but I'm watching him. He's grunting mouth open. I mean, it was, it was an incredible encounter. I ended up snort wheezing at him and he never, he definitely heard me, but he never really like turned his head and looked right at my direction. He just kind of angled my way, but still leaving and, and never, never really was interested. I always wondered if I, you know, should have been more aggressive or what. Yeah. That's when I was just like, I'm sitting out here all day <laughs> and I have to do everything I can. It, it made it feel like a very real possibility after you know, first time out there, I saw him. Yeah, and obviously, as as the the rut was widening down, you were able to get on a little more of a pattern, and whether it was going to a, a feeding area or whatever. But uh, little did you know that you'd be able, just a couple of weeks later, to take that deer down. So that's probably a great way to wrap up. Gage, thank you so much. Congratulations on an absolutely amazing deer, tons of character, um, buck of a lifetime, and I, I think a great takeaway for everybody who's listening. You know, don't overlook those small parcels. You could kill some tremendously big bucks on really tiny pieces of property. And uh, everybody, we'll see you next time on the Bow Hunting Podcast. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.